picture this. You have an extremely busy day. And so what you do is take part of your lunch hour to check off some of the to-dos on your never-ending to-do list. And so you hop in your car, you're going to the store, you stop at a stoplight, look to your right, and you see a person holding a sign that says, need work, please help. And at that moment, you begin to grapple with what does it mean to be a Christian and to see such need, such poverty right there in front of you. The light turns green, you press through the intersection, never to think about it for the rest of the day. For many of us, this is our situation. We we aren't thinking about these things until they are right in our face. And so tonight, I'd like to try to take a moment to think through this even before we interact with this problem face to face again. So in the last couple months, I've been asking a lot of followers of Christ what they do when they encounter these sorts of situations. And there are three major trends that I found. The first one is people who are uh, very um, avid about meeting the immediate need of someone who is impoverished. And this is often called a handout. And I am extremely pleased with my brothers and sisters who are excited about meeting this material need. But unfortunately, I think that a handout is not a wonderful long-term poverty alleviation solution. The reason why I think this is because I don't think that a simple handout takes into consideration the complexity of God's creation. What we see in a fully-orbed Christian worldview is that... uh, Every person exists in four major relationships. The the first relationship is between us and God. The second is between us and our fellow human. The third is between ourselves and creation. And the fourth is the relationship that we have with ourselves. And so what I think is that um, a simple handout doesn't take into consideration the complexity of the reality that what we understand is that poverty comes because one or more of these relationships is disproportionately strained. And so a second strain that I'm seeing are those who are for or who are actually against handouts. And there are some who are sort of against it because they have a well thought out plan about poverty alleviation. For others in that group, I want to talk about something of an undercurrent of those who are opposed to uh, giving sort of um, their time to thinking about issues of poverty there seems to be an unfortunate sort of undercurrent that there's an assumption that poverty is directly caused almost always by either bad character or bad decision-making. And I think that's false. And so what we understand about poverty is the same thing we understand about being very wealthy. And it's that um, that circumstance is dictated oftentimes by the complexity of, 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 of dynamics, one of which is uh, systemic, another is relational, one is in fact personal, and the other one is just how they relate to other people being relational. And so this third group is where the majority of us are. We aren't quite Uh, to the point where we are comfortable with offering handouts as a long-term solution, or we don't quite have a thing that we are committed to in order to help alleviate poverty. We just are people who are concerned about other people who are looking for a way to help. So let me take us to the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, what we find is a very difficult economic time. There is a famine in the land, and we're talking about an agrarian culture, which is an economic nightmare. Smack in the middle of this, what we find is a woman named Ruth. And she is, yes, dealing with the economic climate surrounding her, but she's also a woman in a patriarchal society with no husband and also no father-in-law. 
In addition to that, by the end of the book, we find her as a foreigner in a land where she doesn't really know that many people. And lastly, which is the kicker, she has voluntarily uh, begun to take care of her mother-in-law, who is not the best business partner if you're trying to get out of a difficult economic situation. So what we see is that Ruth's faithfulness to alleviate her own economic um, plight was very helpful to her. She pursued an opportunity to work, and when she began to work, she worked very hard in order to provide for herself and her mother-in-law. But what we also understand in this story is that Ruth's faithfulness would not have had an opportunity to express itself without the faithfulness of another, and that's Boaz. Boaz has embodied what it means to allow people to glean in the corners of your fields, as we see in Leviticus 19. In fact, he went far beyond the call to have them glean, uh, Ruth glean on the edges. He invited her to glean from the first fruits. Ru- uh, Boaz also protected her emotionally from his workers uh, because of any snotty remark that they might have or say towards her. And most importantly, he used this opportunity to show Ruth that he himself is not her provider, but God is her provider. So what I'd like to do is take this glinting principle and to apply it to contemporary life. So for example, for those of, of you guys who are homeowners, you have a never-ending list of tasks you have to do. So let's just take one that's fairly simple, like yard work. So you have your yard work, and in the spirit of Leviticus 19, and not spending all of your money on yourself, you have some to offer to others who are in need. With those two things, you can sort of confront poverty in a very constructive and helpful way. For example, you meet somebody who's in need, you invite them to your house, you can even give them a ride over to your place, and say, hey, let's do some yard work. And so this person comes over to your house, and you find out they have no clue how to mow, no clue how to rake, and no clue how to cut bushes. And that's exactly what you had on deck for the day. So at that point, do you turn them away? Of course not. What you do is teach them how to rake, how to mow, and how to cut bushes. And so at that moment, you are already beginning to mend one of the four broken relationships that cause poverty. Because as you are teaching them to mow, as you're teaching them how to rake, you are teaching them to have dominion over creation. You are teaching them how to manipulate God's world and God's creation in a way that is marketable. So the second relationship that this gleaning model actually addresses is the one, uh, is the relationship between one person and another. And so as you're sitting and talking, you're raking leaves, you're, you might be having a Gatorade, you might actually hear, oh, this person has a technical skill that could be useful somewhere. And who knows, you might have a friend who is in that field that you can either connect them with to, for the possibility of a hire which will be a long-term alleviation solution, or they might know somebody who can use them in some capacity. And so in that moment, you are leveraging your relationship on behalf of another. The third relationship that we see mended in this is the relationship with oneself. And in this, what we understand that God himself is a worker. And we are made in God's image, and therefore we are workers. And when we are acting in accordance to our, our, uh, the way our maker has us to be made, there's dignity in that. And so you are offering someone dignity when you offer them an opportunity to do some work and to be, pay- and to be paid for it. And the last and most important relationship that the Glenning model addresses is the relationship between yourself and God. 
as you love and care for and sacrifice for somebody, you're able to point them to he who has ultimately, ultimately loved him, ultimately cared for them, and ultimately sacrificed for them, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And so in that, if that relationship is mended, the one between themselves and God, the depth of the other three relationships becomes profound. And in that moment, this is just a wonderful example of how a biblical principle can be applied to a contemporary context. So, the next time you stumble upon someone who is impoverished, perhaps holding up the sign that says, need work, please help, let the question not be, what did they do to get themselves there? Let the question become, how can I utilize what God has given me to love God and then love my neighbor as myself? Thank you.